being patient with me. Right, yes, ma'am. I know. It's all right. It's all right. We always begin by saying God is good. All the time. God is good. Uh, that's something that we have to constantly remind ourselves of uh, because we're not good all the time. At least I'm not. But God is, and so I'm just thankful uh, for that. Uh, I'm going to ask that you bow with me for a word of prayer. Taking a, an opportunity and a moment to remember what your word has commanded us in 1 John 1 and 9, that you said that if we confess our known sins, that you'll be faithful and just to forgive us of our known sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we take a moment to confess those known sins as we pray to you. Thank you, God, for another opportunity to be here this morning. The time that you've given us to fellowship, to hear your word, so that we could live our lives the way that you've called us to. We just thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that enables us to live. We pray that we would reflect your love in our lives each and every day and that we would extend that love to others. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The, the last bridge on the song, No Longer Slave, said, you split the sea so I could walk right through it. You drowned my fears in perfect love. You rescued me so I could stand and sing. I am a child of God. Um, our whole unit um, is titled Perfect Love. Whole entire unit is titled Perfect Love, and the reason that it's titled Perfect Love is because we are to complete the love that God began with each and every one of us. We've had an opportunity over the past three weeks to really discuss and analyze God's divine love, and I will be honest with you, it is a challenge and an humbling experience every time I study and begin to reflect on God's love for me. Uh, remember, we want to contrast God's divine love with man's incomplete love. We don't want to. We don't want to view God's love the same way. We have never experienced a type of love like the love that God has extended to each and every one of us. But sometimes that's all we know. So we put God's love in the same category that we put man's love. And we find, hopefully over time when you're learning that it's really not the same. Most of the time we have to do certain things for people to love us, but that is not the case with God. And I'm so thankful that that is not the case with God. I'm thankful that he loved me before I knew him, before I had a relationship with him, before I had a desire to want to know anything about him. When I was his enemy, he loved me. Now that's a whole other type of love right there because we have a hard time in our flesh loving an enemy, someone that is out to to harm you. We were like that towards Christ. We had no desire to have a bond with him. We hated him. Even if you didn't say, I hated Jesus Christ before salvation, the Bible is clear in regards to that. And we'll have some time over these next weeks to look at it. Um, I just want to begin. Um, so I was, I was trying to find the the easiest way to archive our lessons. And so I created a podcast, um, one that, we, that can help us to store, because I record, and one that could help store the lesson so that you can go back and listen to it. I'm going to ask that you do two things this morning. Um, one, I'm going to ask that sometime between this Sunday and next Sunday that you just take some time and listen to the lesson. 
And then the second thing I'm going to ask that you do is just review the notes that you write today. God is faithful and he's a reward of faithfulness. God is faithful and he's a reward of faithfulness, meaning that if you have a desire to grow, you will grow. If you do those two things, we learn by inculcation. It's constant. It's consistent. Repeated. That's how we study. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. And I'm going to encourage you to do the same thing um, as we continue on. So again, this this whole unit I've titled Perfect Love. Um, we're really looking at the perfection of that love right now in God. Um, I haven't really begun to talk about us and how we fail um, in that each and every time. We're really focusing on God's love. I want to continue where we left off last week. Last week we had an opportunity to look at the attributes, write some points about that, and I, I hope that you have the lesson from last week. If not, um, it's okay, um, but it's not okay. <laughs> so, it's okay, but it's not. Um, please uh, keep the lessons with you. Um, I will do my best to refer to um, things from time to time just so that it sticks with us. Um, I try not to, I don't want to make anyone feel like I didn't come to go to school necessarily, um, but this, those principles are important. And if we, we've come with the same mindset to learn and grow, um, there are just some things that we have to do as believers that's instructed in the word of God, um, not necessarily created by um, a school, man's school, but instructed in the word of God. So we looked at those 10 attributes, love, righteousness, justice, sovereignty, and this is the order that we um, spoke of them, eternal life, omniscience, omnipotence, omnipresence, immutability, and veracity. I'm hoping that even as I mentioned those 10, that you had a quick definition that came to mind even as I said those. If not, you just may have to go back and refresh yourself on those. But what I want to do today is give us an opportunity to see each one of these attributes presented in some way from the very beginning. And so I'm going to ask if you have your copy of God's Word, whether it's on your phone or a Bible in front of you, I'm going to ask that you turn to Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to spend some time looking at God's love illustrated in the Garden of Eden, or the Garden of Love, <laughs> um, as we can present that today. Um, if you're looking at your lesson from last week, there are some points that we did not get to that I want to make sure that I begin with today before we get started. So I ended last week after Veracity at the lesson section that says humanizing God. This is a, a big danger, and that is viewing God like a man. Now I know that the Bible was written by men, inspired by God, authored by God, and I know that it's written a certain way. That's so that in our flesh, in our human mind, we can somewhat comprehend the awesomeness of God. But even with that, it's still limited because we are confined to this flesh. Much more will be revealed to us when we see him face to face and we'll say, ah, now I get it all. I get it. We're limited um, with that right now. And God knows that and he understands that. That is no excuse for us to not seek to know him more, but he understands that our understanding of him will be limited. That's an understanding that even as people, we don't really have that same compassion. Like we understand and we attempt to be compassionate with people, but it's only to a certain extent. God's compassion is on a whole nother level. Um, and so I just want us to keep that in mind. I want to present the five points here under um, A from our lesson, 
humanizing God because we don't want to do these five points, but we often do. Second Timothy, I won't read Second Timothy chapter four, verse three through four, but um, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you turn to Second Timothy four, verses three through four. I actually may um, read those verses um, here now. If you um, if you attended the funeral. The Saturday before last, I spoke from this passage with emphasis on the actual um, celebration, but there's a, a scripture inside of this passage that I think is appropriate for what I'm discussing right now, and that's humanizing God, or making God like a human. Verse three says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. We live in that time where Christians, believers, don't want to hear the truth of God's word, we prefer to hear something that makes us feel good. You may have desired at times to hear a lesson or a sermon that makes you feel good. I don't know if I'll make you feel good this morning. Um, that's never my objective. Um, however, I, I do feel good when I leave here because of I feel strengthened. Um, we may laugh, we may joke, but know that the objective should be to take something from the lesson that you could apply immediately to your lives and begin to grow. That's, if, if you're not able to walk away and have something that you can hold on to and apply in your life, then I have really failed you and I failed God. And that is not the intent or the goal um, with our Bible study. There are believers that view Sunday in church and Bible study as an opportunity to get a, a, a have a feel-good moment and go back to their ordinary lives. And that is not what we want to do. We want to approach this opportunity as the, the greatest time of the week because we get to hear from God and walk away and apply God's word. We're, we're talking about God <laughs> and apply God's word to our everyday lives. That is the goal and that is the objective. And I'm not speaking right now about sharing the word of God with someone right now. I'm, I'm really just speaking of being able to say, I agree with what you said as it relates to the word of God and live it out. It starts in the mind. We want to change our way of thinking. That's why John the Baptist came and he said, repent, repent. Jesus followed up with the same thing, repent, repent. That means to change our way of thinking. Once we change our way of thinking, everything else will follow. But it starts off with, do you agree with God? Will you say yes to God? Otherwise, we can't really act it out. And we don't wanna be hypocrites or superficial. So if you're looking at the lesson, point one says, and I'll read it a couple of times, but from everything we discussed over the past three weeks, it is clear that when we talked about worldly love and godly love, it's clear that we redefine God from our own thoughts and frames of reference. We redefine God from our own thoughts and frames of reference. We redefine God from our own thoughts and frames of reference. What that says is, we make God who we want him to be. We make God who we want him to be. We don't surrender to the God who is. We want God to be who we want him to be. 
So we redefine them, we recreate them in our mind and our thinking based on our little limited knowledge. Instead of learning about him to put God in, in, in better perspective, we create him based on maybe our interactions with people or our life experiences apart from him. And we definitely cannot do that. We cannot do that. The second point, we superimpose human affections and emotions on God. We superimpose human affections and emotions on God. Now understand that the word of God is written a certain way. There are many human emotions that the writers, that God would inspire the writers to write about him so that we could kind of get a feel of who he is. And I think the challenging one is when we hear scriptures that say things like, but God repented on what he said or he changed. And then we, we take those scriptures and then we take the attribute that I presented, immutability, and say, I thought God didn't change. But this scripture passage says that he repented or he changed. Understand that as that's written, remember, God is eternal life. Okay, so everything is what it is. But that's written so that we understand that God, one is long-suffering, and he doesn't fully extend to us what we deserve. So those passages are written that way. It's not to say that God changes his mind or we can make God change his mind or God falls in and out of love with us. But it's so that we understand that the people that we read about in the Bible could have been destroyed because God's righteousness demands righteousness. However, that's why I'm thankful for God's love because all of that is in God's context and he knows how to deal with his people. Point three, we try to manipulate God's love. We try to manipulate God's love. Again, we try to manipulate God's love, so we make promises to God that we can't keep. We say things like, God, I promise, if, just give me one more chance, I promise I'll do better, like our kids do. And we are speaking to the omniscient God. <laughs> Who knows? And I'm speaking of my many broken promises to God. Who knows that we really can't keep our promises to God. Here's what I mean by that. I don't mean that we will always fail. I mean that we're speaking about a time, we're speaking in time to a God that's not confined to time. We've already broken our promise. He knows the future. He's already there. We should not spend our time making promises to God. Instead, we should spend our time learning about God, seeking God, obeying God. If you want to keep a promise to God, obey God. Read his word and do it. That's keeping your word or your promises to God. God cannot be manipulated. He can't fall in love with us. He, ex he lived and existed before we were here. Point four, we try to buy God's love. I'm speaking of all the things we do with humans that we try to do with God as well. So we try to buy God's love. So we say, okay, I'm, I'm going to give a certain amount of money or I'm going to tithe a certain way or I'm going to extend this money here. God, you saw that I gave this money. And then we ask God for something. So we try to manipulate God that way, as if God needs our money. He doesn't. It says he owns a cattle of a thousand hills. <laughs> he doesn't need anything from us. Giving to God and his program and his word benefits us, not God. It benefits us. We are required to do so. We are commanded to do so. That is our recognition that this really isn't my stuff. These aren't my things. This isn't my money. This is all for you and your glory. 
And then the last point, here's the kicker as we move into Genesis 2. We hope that God will ignore our sin. We hope that God will ignore our sin. So we hope that because he loves us, he will overlook our mistakes. Although I said God is long-suffering, long he's not blind. He's still a righteous God. He's not going to say to sin, that's all right. That's okay. It's not a big deal. Like we say to humans, God will not say that. He will always present and provide by way of his Holy Spirit his righteousness so that we get back in line. So that we get back in line. And his righteousness, his standard, is Jesus Christ. So as I begin today's lesson and I talked about confession of sins, that's recognizing that we are wrong and God is right. That's recognizing that we are wrong and God is right. There's a, a, a scripture text in the garden that is always puzzling where God comes to Adam and says, where are you? That, that, that's mind blowing because many will read that as God is looking for Adam and Eve. That is the same as the Holy Spirit prompting us that we have went contrary to God's word. It's the same as God saying, will you acknowledge your sin to me? Will you call out your sin to me and get back right with me? And so as we look at Genesis, the second and the third chapter, I just want to take a moment and actually read through it so that we have a, a good understanding of this passage. It's lengthy, so I think what I'll do is, I won't read it all at once, but I'll read it in portions. And so what I've decided to do this morning is just kind of scramble the attributes and talk about them as they're presented in Genesis chapter two and Genesis chapter three. So, we are looking at the Garden of Eden, or the Garden of Love. <laughs> and as we look at the Garden of Love, this is our first recorded, written event in scripture that shows God's love. It illustrates God's love. God is all of what we've talked about, all of those attributes, and you could even give other characteristics to God that would fall under those. God is compassionate, or God is long-suffering, like I said earlier, or God is uh, just some of those other ones that we, we talk about from time to time. God is a, a sacrificing God, um, and we understand that as it relates to Jesus Christ, and all of those would fall somewhere under the attributes that we've been presented with already. I want to begin with Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. This really connects with Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, but in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts. God is presented in this scripture as the creator. One of our attributes was God is eternal life. So he existed before earth and heavens, and he created those. And we have an opportunity to see that in this very first verse. God created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. You move a little further on, it says, by the seventh day God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done, again, as we talked about that a couple of weeks, it wasn't that God was tired. God was presenting an illustration that man would be commanded to have to follow as he instituted the Passover. But God wasn't tired. Nor does God get tired of us. 
Even though we make mistakes, God doesn't say, oh, I'm so sick and tired of Robert. I tell him to do one thing, and he does. I'm sure we would probably say that. He could say that, but he does not say that, and I'm thankful um, as I make mistakes. Nor do I say, as I speak on that point, nor do I say God knows my heart. I don't say that, I don't make that statement. It is true <laughs> that God knows my heart. Jeremiah speaks of the heart as being evil, corrupt. I understand what people mean when they say God knows my heart. God expects more from us. God commands more from us than an intention that's not carried out. God expects us to carry out his word. When we speak like that at times, we are humanizing God. Because what many are really saying is, God, overlook what I did because I meant to do this or I wanted to do this. God says, we're speaking of perfect love. God says, carry it out. Carry it out. Carry it out. Continuing in, in Genesis chapter 2, it says, Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made heaven and earth. Now no shrub of the field was yet on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground, but a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. You notice I slowed down with that because man is introduced on the scene. The war begins, and I'll say that, the war begins. We are the victors. We will be the victors. We have to live like victors. But the war began. I had the privilege of, of teaching um, last summer uh, at CFF a series on spiritual warfare, and I talked about there's a war going on. Whether we want to agree with it or not, whether we want to make everything as okay and there are no enemies and everything is nice, there is an invisible war going on. And we have to choose, like Joshua says, choose ye this day which God you will serve. But there's a war going on. When man was created and placed in the garden, Satan was wild and amazed. All right? Satan, the enemy, is not omniscient. Nor does God reveal his plans to Satan. Okay? So God didn't sit down with Satan and say, let me tell you what I'm about to do. This is going to get you. <laughs> right? Instead, God carries out. God communes with himself and himself. <laughs> he is the Trinity. But he created this being that was, the scripture says, a little lower than the angels. A being that had the image of God that had the ability to choose and make decisions, but also had the ability and potential to repopulate, reproduce. That was the part that was amazing because angels couldn't do that. And angels were created beings as well, but they couldn't do that. So this was mind blowing. It's not an accident that we see Satan in the Garden of Eden to, on attack mode. He was amazed and he didn't like it. We are God's precious handiwork. But we were created for a reason. We weren't created because God needed us or he was incomplete. Adam was incomplete. God was not. 
we weren't created for God's benefit. And I, I'm stressing this point because we walk around like that many times. I, I am, God needs me, you know, and we walk around. God didn't create us for his benefit. He created us for his glory. He didn't create us for his benefit. That's a whole different story. We're created for a reason. Our lives prove a point to God and Satan. More so Satan. Our lives prove a point to Satan and man that we can choose God. Satan did not. We will. We can. So our lives are a reflection. They prove a point, though. Each day you wake up is an opportunity to prove that I am God's child, like the song said. Every moment, every opportunity, every experience is proven that God is right. God is right. So when we look at this passage and we move to verse 8, it says, The Lord God planted the garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed man whom he formed. Verse 9 says, and nine, verse 9 through 14 gives us a, somewhat of a visual of just how beautiful the garden was. It talks about the trees that were there, trees that were good for food. God inspired Moses to write it a certain way so that the emphasis was on two trees that were presented there, the tree of life, tree of knowledge of good and evil. We really could talk about the garden for years right now because there's so much inside of these two chapters, but we'll go through it quicker just for purpose of our study. It begins as you move through 10 through 14, if you're just kind of scrolling along, it talks about rivers and this flowing that happened. So we have a, an illustration of trees being created, rivers flowing, God is here, God is there, God is involved in it all, God is omnipresent. Remember we talked about that before, God is omnipresent, meaning he's involved in everything. Everything that relates to creation, God is involved. He doesn't take his hand off anything. He's involved in everything. That is difficult, but God is omnipresent, and we see that in these verses. I'm going to ask that you skip forward to verse 16. God makes this command, and he says, It said, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. That's our free will. That's our free will. It says, But from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, Thou shalt not eat, for in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. God gives command. He gives us free will. And then his righteousness is presented. And you say, well, how is his righteousness presented? God's righteousness is in his word. God's righteousness is his word. God's righteousness is in obedience to his word as Jesus was when he was obedient to the Father and carried out his word for his life. Obedience is righteousness. Obedience is righteousness. And so he presents his word. If you want to be right with me, obey my command. If you want to be right with me, obey my command. God is all right, not all right. God is all right. He is perfect. His righteousness is connected to his word. If you go to verse 18, it's the unique passage that says, the Lord God said it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then in verse 21, it says, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up his flesh at that place. God is omnipotent, all-powerful. He can create something out of nothing, but everything that God creates is perfect. God can create 
something out of nothing. He has the ability to do that. When I, as I say that, I think about the Jesus' first miracle when he took the big jars, the big vessels, told the, the servants, just put water in it. I love that story because if you remember that story, Jesus did not touch anything. That's what showed his omnipotence. He didn't touch anything. He didn't pour. He didn't gather the water. He didn't do anything. He spoke it. He said, put water inside of the, the vessels. Now draw the water out. <laughs> and it was wine. The best. Everybody was amazed. The head at the wedding was like, I can't believe this. You saved the best for last. It was perfect. But he created it out of nothing as only God can do. And we get a chance to see that here in the garden. God is all-powerful. God recognizes our need and provides as only an all-powerful God can. An all-powerful God can provide, exact, create and provide exactly what we need. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. Sometimes we look for things in man you know, our, our spouse or our children or friends, family members to provide for our need. But God has done that already in Jesus Christ. And I always connect it back to Jesus Christ. He gives us a picture of Jesus Christ even in the garden as we look at it, as we go on. God is in complete control. So when we talked about sovereignty, When we talked about sovereignty, we connected it to free will because we said God was in control. And in control, he created a man that had free will. Only God can do that. We have free will. And so when he made the command to man, he said, you have a choice. You can eat from any tree in the garden. God gave a command, and he had to give a command so that man would have the opportunity to choose right or wrong. Right being God, wrong would be what man wanted to do on his own. He had to give that. Remember, man was created to illustrate and prove a point. And that's in our ability to choose, we can choose God. Or we will choose God. And that was presented very early on in the garden. Man did not interfere. It wasn't, God did not interfere. It wasn't that God said, like man would walk by the tree and God would say, no, no, not that tree. <laughs> that wasn't what happened. But man had a unique opportunity to talk with God every day and commune with him and walk with him in the cool of the day, which we see later on, the cool of the day. That was like Bible study time, you know. That's an opportunity for him to walk with God and God to speak to man. God, if you attempt to touch the fire of sin, God won't prevent you from doing that, maybe physically. Inside his word is everything you need to avoid it, but God won't make you make a certain decision. That's not God. Remember, we talked about God being fair. We talked about his justice, God is fair. Veracity is also presented because God is all truth. If he says it, it will happen. If he says it, it will happen. He said that if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. That's what happened. God is not going to go back on his word. God is all truth. I spoke of this cool of the day. When you look at Genesis chapter 3 and you look at verse 8, it says that. It says, now this is after man had ate from the tree. Adam and Eve had eaten from the tree at this point. And it says, then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. It says, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. This, this one verse 
is, in my opinion, one of the craziest verses in the garden. This says that God created the trees. Man attempted to hide from God in what God had created. If you think about it, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> but at this time, man had fallen. Man had experienced sin. So their perception was off. Their view was off of life. What was beautiful was now something to be ashamed of. They walked around the garden and they weren't ashamed of one another as God created them, but as soon as sin was a part of their life and their experience, there was shame. They were hiding. They were covering up their sins, hiding from God. We hide from God when we cover our sins. God always comes to us and say, where are you? Where are you? When we cover our sins or we don't acknowledge our sins, or don't confess our sins to God, we are putting on fig leaves <laughs> as they did in the garden. We don't want to do that. We want to bring it to God. Who knows already, right? Because he's omniscient. We can't really hide anything from him. But you see God's love here because he still desired to have relationship with fallen man. He still desired to have relationship with fallen man. He still desired to have relationship with each and every one of us while we were yet sinners. That is not a human love. That is a divine love. But even in that, he cannot change. As we look at the latter part of Genesis chapter 3, even in that, he cannot change. He will not change. If he said, if you eat from this fruit or if you disobey me, there will be spiritual death and separation, then that's what he meant. And that is what happened. God is immutable. He does not change. His word does not change. Again, God is omniscient, though. He knows everything and everything at the same time. So when you look at verse 22, in Genesis chapter 3, it says, Then the Lord God said, now this is written for us. It says, Then the Lord God said in verse 22, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. This is written for us. God was not moving at our time or at our pace. God didn't say, oh, now he's eating from this. Now I must do this. Now this, this is written so that we understand some things. And what is to be understood here is evil, man making decisions apart from God, experience with sin cannot exist with the tree of life. They both can exist. Righteousness cannot exist with unrighteousness. Righteousness cannot exist with unrighteousness. Therefore, this is written. The word might is there. God knows the possibilities, what could happen. I'm thankful for that because he, he has loved me in a way that he's provided so that I could have that relationship with him and not leaving it to myself. But the last attribute that I want to discuss is God's justice. Is God's justice. Verse 23 and 24 says, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. I know that the Garden of Eden many times is presented as 
a place of perfection. And there is an illustration of perfection inside of the garden. But if you think about it, the whole garden was not perfect. Why? Because Satan was there. <laughs> right? Because Satan was there. Satan was there. When we live with Christ eternally, when all of this is gone, that's perfection. God will deal with Satan, but Satan won't be in our presence. The only thing that will be in our presence then is the glory of God. That is true perfection. We got an opportunity to see glimpses of it, but that is true perfection. I only wanted to present the Garden of Eden to identify some attributes of God. But what I would like to do in the weeks to come is present fallen man to us to really show how God extended that love to fallen man in our condition. That we recognize where we were before having a relationship with him and we wouldn't wish it on our worst enemy to not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask that you close with me in a word of prayer. I couldn't hear. I'm sorry. Yes, and I, I will speak briefly on it, and then I'll pray, and then I, I would like to talk to you again. Um, one thing that I, I try my best uh, to do um, when I teach, first I pray that I don't say anything that is not right. Um, I hold this uh, position in high regard. But I also ask, when I prepare, a lesson or when I prepare to speak or as I'm studying, I always ask that God would challenge my way of thinking on things. And sometimes in that challenge, some things that's revealed hurt. They're, they're painful. I'm like, oh, I don't. But that's a good hurt and a good pain because it's going to draw us and move us in a certain direction. Um, When a statement, God knows my heart, is presented, a lot of times it's presented to someone else. Because in essence, we really, we really can't say to God, God knows my heart, because he says, I do. I do. That's true. God knew our heart before situations and circumstances came about. But if a person hears a statement, if a person makes a statement, God knows my heart, and then the Holy Spirit of God prompts you to change your heart or do better or prioritize our time more, or th then it was worth it. And I think that that's what God is challenging us to do, and that's push through. <laughs> push through. Push through.
And I'm saying that because I know everyone in here is going through some things. I know you're going through things because I'm going through things. And I just believe that we share that commonality. Push through. Push through. And I, and I would like to talk um, a little more about it um, as we close. God wants us to grow through our situation, circumstances. God wants us to change. God will not settle. God won't settle for anything. God wants holiness. God demands holiness. And God will strengthen and enable us to, to, reach, that, to reach that goal. I'm going to ask that you close with me in a word of prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come just thanking you. Thanking you for this opportunity that you've given us to fellowship. Thanking you for loving us in spite of who we are. Thanking you for your Holy Spirit that strengthens us each and every day. Thanking you for experience with other believers. Thanking you with fellowship with your word and your truth. Thanking you for loving us before we knew you. And thanking you for giving us an opportunity to know you and your love. We pray that you would bless and keep each and every one of us. That you would help us to utilize what you've provided. And that you would continue to motivate us to draw closer to you. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, as we close, um, the, the, the podcast, I spoke earlier, and I think I got sidetracked. <laughs> but the podcast earlier with the, with the recordings for the Bible study, um, and you could go straight through the website and access the past two, and this one I'll upload also. It is anchor.fm forward slash wild roses. So again, it's anchor.fm forward slash wild roses. You'll see the past two weeks there, and then this one will be there as well, um, so that you can go back and look at it and listen to it um, in preparation for next week. Um, thank you.